Brother Bill, please let, uh, will you get me in this mic, Scott? Please let's, let uh, your, your bride know that we're all praying for her. And Oh, you're staying. Okay. I thought you were going to head out. Bill was here last night at our Saturday night service, so he's you get a double dose of the same message. Wow. Well, know that we're praying for your wife. and Yeah. Yes. All right. We're going to be in the gospel, the book of John, John 14. Uh, this this morning, we're picking up where I left off a couple weeks ago. Scott came and preached for me last week, and I just want to uh, say how grateful I am to all of you who have been praying for, for me. I kind of hit a spiritual wall last week with uh, just uh, being overburdened with uh, being asked to do a, a funeral for a 17-year-old son for a, uh, that died in a car wreck for a lifelong friend of mine in California uh, going into it not knowing his spiritual condition or the family's spiritual condition and wanting to speak the hope of Jesus to them and not knowing how that was going to be received. And that was quite the spiritual struggle for me. And so I'm just thankful for all of your prayers. And I want you to know, I stand here this morning and tell you, God is faithful. And um, uh, the message was well received. It was uh, amazing. There was over 500 people at the funeral, a lot of teenagers, as you could imagine, and um, it was my honor to be able to present the hope that's found in Jesus to them, and the opportunity to tell them that they, all they had to do to re- believe and receive was to believe and receive Jesus, and by faith accept Him as their Savior too receive the resurrection that he had promised and uh, of eternal life and to be their light in their world, their hope. And uh, it was an an amazing privilege and honor. And and I I went to the gravesite. I did the committal service there at the gravesite. And I left. I went back to the wake. And all of a sudden, I got a text from a fellow believer, a grandparent of the the grandson who had passed. And he said, you'll never guess what happened. I'm glad I wasn't there because I can't take credit for it. But uh, I guess there was the pictures that he sent me were 15 teenagers standing around the casket and some grandmother coming up and saying, you know how the pastor said that you need to receive and believe on Jesus to have eternal life. Does anyone want to do that? And she had the opportunity to leave four or five of those um, teenagers in, in a prayer to receive Jesus. So be in prayer for that, that they would not just wither on the vine, that God would sustain them, land them in a place that they can be taught truth. And uh, it was uh, amazing to see how God um, can use uh, something like that. So anyway, so thank you for your prayers. We're going to go ahead and read the passage of Scripture this, this morning. And then we'll ask the Lord to meet with us. So John 14, we're going to begin in actually verse 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. 
in a little while, the world will no longer see me, but, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. And on that day, you will know that I am in the, my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Verse 21, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not a scarlet, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you, I am going away and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. Verse 30 says this, I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me. On the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. Get up. Let's leave this place. Let's pray. Father God, we've come before your throne of grace and mercy, Lord. So thankful that we have this opportunity, Lord, to to meet here and to worship you. You are worthy of our praise, our worship, our adoration. You are our creator, God, who's revealed yourself, Lord. And not only revealed yourself, but revealed a means in which we can have relationship with you. In spite of our brokenness, in spite of our sin, Father, you've made a way. You've demonstrated love. That is unconscionable, Father. You're so good to us. It is our privilege to be able to try to worship you today. And the songs that we sing and the words that are spoken. And so we just ask that you would help us, Father that the words we speak may bring honor and glory to you, that your son would be raised up and adored and glorified in the words that are spoken this, this morning, God. Father, my prayer is that each and every one of us, Lord, that you would meet with us individually. You would minister to our specific heart needs, Father. You would minister to our struggles, Through the power of your spirit, God, we ask that you would do a work that would transform us into the image of your son, that we would increase in the knowledge of who you are, and in so doing, increase in our relationship with you. We ask this in your son's precious and most powerful name. Amen. So what a powerful bunch of scripture we have here. This is probably four sermons worth, and I endeavored to just power through it. I'm probably going to miss a lot of uh, really good truths because of that. Uh, but I just just wanted to try to get through the 14th chapter since we've been dwelling here for so long. 
it's just a, uh, such a powerful chapter. But if just to go back, since uh, it's been a couple of weeks since I've preached on this, uh, we just want to grab some context of where we're at. We're in the upper room. Jesus has dismissed Judas to go to, to you know, uh, inform the, the Jewish leaders, the, the soldiers of where he was at. He knows that Judas is coming for him, that Satan entered it into Judas, and that Satan was coming for him. He knows he has limited time with his disciples. He knows that he is going to go. He's going to glorify the Father by dying, by going to the cross. And he also knows that his disciples' worlds are going to be rocked. That their faith and their understanding of who Jesus is was going to be challenged because they weren't expecting the Messiah to go to glorify the Father by dying. They were expecting the Messiah to rule and reign in a temporal sense, the kingdom of David. And Jesus, in this 14th chapter, tells them, look, ah, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going away, but I'm coming back for you. And those words are for, were for them, but they're just as much for us today. This life is not the end. Jesus is coming back for his bride. That is a promise. He's going to prepare a place for us. And when he, if it were not so, he would not tell us. And because he's going to prepare a place for us, he's going to come back for us. And then he goes on to, to give them and talk about these two powerful concepts that he's going to give them to be able to endure trial and hardship in this life. And my sermon two weeks ago, the first one was prayer. The ability to connect. He's like, I'm going away, but look, this doesn't mean your your relationship with God is severed. I'm going away so that the Comforter can come. You will be able to do greater works because I, I won't just be isolated in one specific place on earth. Through the indwelling of the Spirit of God in the hearts of every believer, God's works can be done all throughout the known world. Jesus and his earthly mission healed the sick and, and made the blind see and, and all those beautiful things and multiplied demonstrated his power over creation but through the Spirit of God who indwells the hearts of each and every one of us lies the most miraculous gift bringing dead people to life spiritually speaking. Those Miracles that Jesus performed, healing the blind, raising Lazarus from the dead, they were temporary. But through the Spirit of God using us as vessels to to preach the gospel and through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, dead men come to life eternally, spiritually. What a marvelous and powerful miracle. Every time someone receives Jesus, it is a miracle from God. It is a supernatural work. It's not some sales pitch. It is God working through us. These are the things that we have in our, in our midst. So we have this prayer we, that, that we're given. We can come to the Father at any time because our great high priest stands at the right hand of the Father forever making intercession for the saints. And you and I, instead of the Jewish picture of the, the, holy, of veil, the holy of holies and the veil that separated God from mankind, demonstrating that the separation had occurred because of their sin and the need for an offering of sin year after year after year, pointing to the fact that it was never going to cover sin, ultimately, the death and spilling of blood of an animal, but pointing to the fact that one day the Lamb of God would show up 
and provide the eternal sacrifice once and for all. And as Jesus hung on the cross, the veil in that temple was torn from top to bottom, Scripture declares, indicating that we now have the right and the privilege to enter in to the very presence of God at any time. We come not in our own righteousness. We don't come there because how good we are. We come in the name of Jesus because Jesus is our high priest. He is the authority that we come to. And so we pray in the name of Jesus because we know it's not us. It's not my righteousness that enables access to the Father or to our God. This is the righteousness of Jesus alone. And so we talked about last week how we have this wonderful privilege, or two weeks ago, how this wonderful privilege of prayer is just an amazing thing and, and that he desires that anything we say according to his will, he will answer. And we can have confidence in knowing that he listens to us and hears us, all those wonderful things. I'm re-preaching my sermon from two weeks ago, so I'll move on. And then this week we cover this, this beautiful passage of Scripture that demonstrates not only do we have an access to our God through prayer, but God or the Father, or the, our God actually indwells the hearts of every believer. Jesus said, I must go so that he may come, the, the paraclete, the comforter, the counselor. Your faith is going to be trialed. You're going to have tribulations in this life, but I'm not leaving you to fend for yourself. I'm giving you these beautiful and immense gifts of prayer, going to the Father, beseeching his throne through supplication for other people to, and for ourselves and, and, and all those things, and also the Spirit of God indwelling the hearts of every believer. And it's in this where he, uh, this passage of Scripture, Jesus says, look, if, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if you're a legalist like me, if you have a legalistic mindset, when I first got saved or growing up, I would hear something like this, and I'm like, okay, all right. I need to show Jesus how much I love him. How many commandments am I keeping? And my focus automatically starts to go to how many commandments I'm keeping. And I'm starting off on the wrong foot. The foundation is not how many commandments you're keeping demonstrates how much you love Jesus. It's, it's the fact that the love of God resides in you. And your love of God is the means in which you follow the commands because you love God. It starts with the love of God. And if we have a fresh and awakened sense of our love for what God has done for us, and the natural outflow of that is to obey and reflect God's glory in obeying his commandments to those around us. Not out of fear for keeping the commandments. Not out of what is God going to do if we don't but out of love, because what he's done for us. So let's try to dig into these passages of Scripture and see if we can't make any sense of this, what I've just said. The first question I'd like to ask to you today is, what does a follower of Jesus look like? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me, this is in the negative now, will not keep my words. The word that is in your, the word that you hear is not mine, but from the Father who sent me. So what does a follower of Jesus look like? Look, looks like 
a follower of Jesus should be one who desires to obey God's commands because it reflects who he is. What greater testimony do we have to a religious people that we live in around that we say, yeah, it's important to obey the commands of God, but not as a means in which I try to appease God and, and find relationship by doing all these commands, but as a means in which I want to reflect how good he was to me. I'm his son now. I want to reflect his goodness by keeping his commands because what he's done for me. It's not about seeking God's approval through following the commands. It is trying to reflect God's glory, right? This sermon series is living our lives for the glory of God. And we can do that by obeying God's commands and, and seeking him and growing in the wisdom and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the spirit that indwells the hearts of every believer. And that's the key. It is the spirit of God who desires to do this, to enable us to do these things. So a follower of Jesus is one who desires to follow the commands of God, not out of fear, but out of love for what God has done for them. And what is our basis to keep the commands of Jesus? John, I think, expounds on this quite masterfully in his first epistle. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 speaks on this thing of love. 1 John 4, 7 through 11 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And we have to circle back and understand what this definition of love is. Do you remember how Jesus demonstrated love in John chapter 13? The creator God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the, our creator God veiled in human flesh comes into the upper room. He could have demanded worship and those disciples would have easily got down on their knees and worshiped him. But instead... The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, grabs a wash basin and begins to wash his disciples' feet. And he tells them, do unto others what I've just done to you. The biblical definition of love is a love that puts others' needs before yourselves. It's to serve others and not yourself. And so when we see this, must love one another because love is from God, this is the type of love that is demonstrated the sacrificial love. Jesus not only would wash his feet, but he would go on to demonstrate that he loved the world by going to the cross to die for the sin of mankind, to put our needs before his own. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus told them, this is a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. But this ability to follow and keep God's commandments stems from the same love. It's a love that we should have inside of our hearts that desires to put the glory of God up front instead of our own glory. To glorify God, to live for God instead of to live for our own needs. And so when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, it's come, it stems from the fact that he had loved us so much and we experienced his love in such a great means we desire to put him first in our lives. 
We love him by glorifying him, by seeking the things of God first instead of our own. Dear friends, let us love another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, the one who does not love God does not know God because God is love. If you're a Christ follower today, there should be some spark of love for God and love for mankind in your heart. And this teaching, what John is telling us today, if that is not a part of your your DNA after you've uh, said that you've encountered a saving relationship with Jesus, then something is wrong. The one who does not love God, does not love, does not know God, because God is love. Verse 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. And it comes down to this. This is the motivation. I'm not here to guilt you to try to love God more today. The motivation for loving God and obeying his commandments comes from understanding and meditating on the love God has demonstrated to us. And as we do that, the outflow of our worship should be loving God and loving others. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son. I still can't get over it. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, he says. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is the basis of keeping God's commandments. We don't keep God's commandments to earn his love. We respond to God because of his love and trying to reflect his goodness to those around us because we love him. And we only do that because we understand he first loved us. He didn't just say it. He sent his one and only son to atone, to die for our sins so that we might have eternal life. Think about that. As I mentioned, I had the opportunity to, uh, sad as it was, to, to officiate a funeral for a 17-year-old son. And before I went down there, I could not wrap my mind around how a parent could lose a child that way. There's no words to express the heartbreak of a parent to lose a child. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I thought back to Abraham and Isaac, and Abraham taking Isaac as obeying God and putting him on the altar and getting ready to slay him and and we all breathe a big sigh of relief when God says, God, or God says, Abraham, wait. Don't do it. We're like, whoa. So glad God provided a sacrifice. But God, the Father, did not spare his own son. That is love. It's our basis to keep the commands of God, to reflect God's love and God's goodness by keeping his commands as a response, as a form of worship, 
to those around us stems from our motivating factor of understanding just how much God has demonstrated his love towards us. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. He closes by that. Romans, Paul writes in Romans 5. I have him stashed away for moments such as this. Paul writes in Romans 5. And this is just for a a self-prescribed legalist like me. These five verses are just so freeing to me. Because it just, Paul masterfully demonstrates what Christ has done for us. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, by trusting in Christ's accomplished work, we are declared righteous. God the Father, the Holy Judge says, you're righteous. Not in your own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. Since we have been declared righteous by faith, What do we have? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're declared righteous by faith, and then we are given this peace with God. God looks upon us not as enemies, but as children because of what Christ has done. And so now we are given this beautiful opportunity, this beautiful gift of salvation. And then we're, then we're told to obey God's commandments, but not, we don't have to worry about what's going to happen if we don't. We get to do it as a means of worship because we're at peace with God of what Christ has done. I was trying to make an analogy last night with the, our guitar player, really good guitar player, wouldn't you say? His name's Joe Johnson. And I talked about how when he probably, when he first picked up the guitar and tried to learn, it was probably a lot like me. Like it made a really loud, loud sounds and didn't sound very well at all. But then he started getting good and he was able to read notes, right? But he'd still mess up and he'd be really concentrating on the notes. Well, imagine imagine if someone had a gun to his head and said, if you mess up on the notes, you're a goner, right? And he'd be just like playing as, you know, but it would be a very pitiful life, in the, right? And in the mind of a legalist, that's essentially what we're saying is we need to, Follow these rules. We need to keep these laws. And if we don't, there's going to be consequences. Jesus come, came to pay the penalty that we could not pay. He did that, and in that we have peace with God. And then there was, if you listen to Joe play, Joe doesn't even need the notes anymore. He doesn't have to look at them. He just knows the song. And he's taken the gifts that God has given him, and he's given his specific, unique, who Joe is, and he's able to worship God through playing that instrument. And those notes are a means in which he, he follows, but he gets to use it in a means to, to, to worship his God. Those notes are no longer a thing of fear, but a means in which he can worship God. And it's the same with God's commands. We have peace with God through Christ. And Striving to obey his commands is a means in which we can reflect God's glory and use our individual gifts and means and who we are as individuals as an expression 
of God's love. To obey his commands is to reflect who he is in this world. It's a means of worship. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 2. We also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. We've obtained access through him by faith, this believing and trusting in Christ alone. We're extended grace, God's unmerited favor. God looks upon us and extends favor and mercy to us, and it's unmerited on our account because of what Christ has done. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. You know, it was a pretty sad moment when I realized that when I believed and received Jesus, that God just did not automatically take me into heaven or made me perfect or rescued me from all trial and tribulation in this world. But the reality is he's left us here, and he's left us here for a purpose and a reason, to be his salt, to be his light in this world. But we have here this this amazing passage of scripture that says, look, when we're in the midst of trial, God has allowed it into our lives for a purpose. Let's not let our trials and afflictions just go to waste. We as mature people of the word understand that those trials are means in which they produce endurance and proven character, and that character produces hope. Because, right, when we're going through those trials, the only thing that stands are the promises of God. And the witness of the Spirit testifying to our spirit that we are his children. And that the trial and the affliction is just temporary. And there's coming a day when those will be removed. And that produces should produce in us a hope. Verse 5, this hope will not disappoint us. God's promises will not disappoint us, church. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And that's the crux of the teaching I believe Jesus was saying here in John 14. Look, if you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. If you don't love, that means you don't, you, you don't love me. Or if you don't obey your commandments, you don't love me. Why? Because if you're saved, the love of God is poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who indwells you. It is through the Spirit. It is the power of the Spirit that indwells us to, to empower us to love as he's commanded us. It is because God dwells inside of us. The paraclete, the comforter, empowers us to live this life that he's called us to live. And so we come back to John 14, closing up the passage here. John 14, 25 through 26. We see here the power of the indwelling Spirit of God. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. In 1 John, again, in his epistle, he tells us that as believers that the Spirit of God does the same for us. He convicts us, he teaches us, he guides us into all truth. What an amazing gift we have as we learn to yield to him, to walk to him. He's our counselor. He's our comforter. 
And Jesus goes, is that the right hand of the Father? But the Spirit has come and dwells the heart of every believer and dwells us and gives us power to live this life that he's called us to live. And what happens? What's the fruit of this indwelling, this power of the Spirit of God inside of us? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus references this. Look, peace I leave with you. Look, your, your faith is going to be rocked. You're going to be challenged. I'm leaving, but my peace is not. Through the power of the Spirit, you can have peace. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it as the world gives you. The world gives us a temporary peace, a fleshly peace. This peace comes from the power of the Spirit and dwelling in the hearts of the believer. Don't let your heart be troubled. How will the world know about the love of God? So that comes down to us. How are we going to try to apply this passage of Scripture to us today? I believe Jesus provides for us an example of how the world around us will know the love of God. This love that dwells inside of us, how are we to express that? You have heard me tell you I'm going away, I'm coming to you, he says in verse 28. If you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I just have to stop here and kind of mention that this verse is often taken as a uh, out of, ripped out of context to demonstrate that there's some type of hierarchical system that Jesus is lesser than the Father. When we declare that scriptures declare that Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all co-eternal, co-equal. He says here, because the Father is greater than I, he says, if you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father. We have to understand that Jesus condescended he came down out of heaven according to philippians and all of scripture really he took upon the form of a human he took upon a a lesser state he 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 voluntarily stepped out of the majesty of what it is to be god he thought it not robbery to be equal with god but but took himself out of that and is in this earthly ministry at this point but he's going back to the father He's going to return to the state that he had once had with the Father. And he says, if you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because I'm going back to the abode of the Father. And in his humanness, and the human side of Christ is lesser, but the eternal side of who Christ is is co-equal and co-eternal. I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. Verse 29, I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. Like he knows that their trials, their faith is going to be rocked. He's trying to tell them, look, this is going to happen. I want to tell you before it happens so that you would believe and trust in me. Then he goes to verse 30, I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming. We know that Satan had entered into Judas that they were coming for him. He's like, look, it's not much longer. They're going to come and arrest me. But he assures them, look, the evil one, the prince, the ruler of this world has no power over me. The devil is called the accuser of the brethren, right? He can stand before God and say, Jared has done this and sinned this way and sinned this way. And be, thanks be to God, my great high priest stands in the gap and says, nope, he's under the blood. But Satan can't accuse Jesus of any sin. Satan, although Satan tempted him in the wilderness, Jesus did not submit to those temptations. 
the evil one has no power over our Savior. Verse 31, on the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. How will the world know the love of God? When you and I determine to do this, to allow the world to see that we love the Father because we do what the Father has commanded us to do. We do what Jesus has commanded to do. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Especially when the world understands we do it as a means to reflect his glory and not as a means of because we're fearful of what might happen if we don't. When we respond and obey his commands out of love and not out of fear. And we do that in the power of the spirit and as well as the hearts of every believer. He's given us the tools, church, to live this victorious life, to live our lives for the glory of God. Prayer, the power of the Spirit, and God the Spirit indwelling inside of us are all tools that we have access to, that we have. It's a matter of yielding. And day by day, attempting to walk a little closer, attempting to listen a little closer to the Spirit's Teaching and illumination as a means to reflect the love that he's given us by sending his son to die for us. We love him because he first loved us. Let's pray. Father God, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you, God. Thank you. I remember what it's like to live this world without a relationship with you. So thankful, God, that you've made a way through Jesus and all the blessings you've given us, God, in Jesus. It's just so overwhelming. Thank you, Father. Help me, Father. Help us. Empower us to live a life that's pleasing and honoring to you by keeping commands, the commands that reflect who you are to this world. Allow us, Father, to be the light as people look in and see uh, people who desire to reflect the God's goodness and God's glory and keeping commandments that reflect him, Father, that they would see you in us. Help us to be the light, the salt. Help us to be your witness that others may come to know your love, your great love that you've demonstrated to us, God. We want to do this, Lord, not for our sake, but for yours. For you're worthy. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of every moment of our life, Lord. You're worthy of our worship. Help us, God, to live in that reality, to reflect that reality in our lives ever more closely. We ask this in the name of your precious Son, Lord, our Savior. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sister Jenny, she hears. Okay. We're going to invitation song. I surrender all.